0: Tom Jones, by Henry Fielding, book thirteen, chapter four, which consists of visiting. Mr Jones had walked within sight of a certain door during the whole day, which, though one of the shortest, appeared to him one of the longest in the whole year. At length, the clock having struck five, he returned to mrs Fitzpatrick, who, though it was a full hour earlier than the decent time of visiting, received him very civilly, but still persisted in her ignorance concerning Sophia. Jones, in asking for his angel, had dropped the word cousin, upon which Mrs. Fitzpatrick said, Then, sir, you know we are related, and, as we are, you will permit me the right of inquiring into the particulars of your business with my cousin. Here Jones hesitated a good while, and at last answered, He had a considerable sum of money of hers in his hands, which he desired to deliver to her. He then produced the pocket-book, and acquainted Mrs. Fitzpatrick with the contents, and with the method in which they came into his hands. He had scarce finished his story, when a most violent noise shook the whole house. To attempt to describe this noise to those who have heard it would be in vain, and to aim at giving any idea of it to those who have never heard the like would be still more in vain, for it may be truly said, Non acuta sic geminant coribantas aera. The priests of Sibylle do not so rattle their sounding brass. In short, a footman knocked, or rather thundered, at the door. Jones was a little surprised at the sound, having never heard it before, but Mrs. Fitzpatrick very calmly said that, as some company were coming, she could not make him any answer now, but if he pleased to stay till they were gone, she intimated she had something to say to him. The door of the room now flew open, and after pushing in her hoop sideways before her, entered lady Bellaston, who having first made a very low curtsy to mrs fitzpatrick and as low a one to mr jones was ushered to the upper end of the room we mention these minute matters for the sake of some country ladies of our acquaintance who think it contrary to the rules of modesty to bend their knees to a man the company were hardly well settled before the arrival of the peer lately mentioned caused a fresh disturbance and a repetition of ceremonials these being over the conversation began to be as the phrase is extremely brilliant however as nothing passed in it which can be thought material to this history or indeed very material in itself i shall omit the relation The rather as i have known some very fine polite conversation grow extremely dull when transcribed into books or repeated on the stage indeed this mental repast is a dainty of which those who are excluded from polite assemblies must be contented to remain as ignorant as they must of the several dainties of French cookery which are served only at the tables of the great. To say the truth, as neither of these are adapted to every taste, they might both be often thrown away on the vulgar. Poor Jones was rather a spectator of this elegant scene than an actor in it, for, though, in the short interval before the peer's arrival Lady Bellaston first, and afterwards Mrs. Fitzpatrick, had addressed some of their discourse to him, yet no sooner was the noble lord entered than he engrossed the whole attention of the two ladies to himself and as he took no more notice of jones than if no such person had been present unless by now and then staring at him the ladies followed his example the company had now stayed so long that mrs fitzpatrick plainly perceived they all designed to stay out each other she therefore resolved to rid herself of jones he being the visitant to whom she thought the least ceremony was due taking therefore an opportunity of a cessation of chat she addressed herself gravely to him, and said, "'Sir, I shall not possibly be able to give you an answer to-night as to that business, but if you please leave word where I may send to you to-morrow.' Jones had natural, but not artificial good breeding. Instead, therefore, of communicating the secret of his lodgings to a servant, he acquainted the lady herself with it particularly, and soon after very ceremoniously withdrew. He was no sooner gone than the great personages who had taken no notice of him present, began to take much notice of him in his absence but if the reader hath already excused us from elating the more brilliant part of this conversation he will surely be very ready to excuse the repetition of what may be called vulgar abuse though perhaps it may be material to our history to mention an observation of lady Bellaston, who took her leave in a few minutes after him and then said to mrs fitzpatrick at her departure i am satisfied on the account of my cousin she can be in no danger from this fellow our history shall follow the example of Lady Bellaston and take leave of the present company, which was now reduced to two persons, between whom, as nothing passed, which in the least concerns our reader, we shall not suffer ourselves to be diverted by it from matters which must seem of more consequence to all of those who are at all interested in the affairs of our hero. End of chapter 4 Chapter 5 an adventure which happened to Mr. Jones at his lodgings, with some account of a young gentleman who lodged there, and of the mistress of the house, and her two daughters. The next morning, as early as it was decent, Jones attended at Mrs. Fitzpatrick's door, where he was answered that the lady was not at home, an answer which surprised him the more, as he had walked backwards and forwards in the street from break of day, and if she had gone out he must have seen her. This answer, however, he was obliged to receive, and not only now, but to five several visits which he made her that day. To be plain with the reader, the noble peer had from some reason or other, perhaps from a regard for the lady's honour, insisted that she should not see Mr. Jones, whom he looked on as a scrub, any more, and that the lady had complied in making that promise to which we now see her so strictly adhere. But, as our gentle reader may possibly have a better opinion of the young gentleman than her ladyship, and may even have some concern should it be apprehended that during this unhappy separation from sophia he took up his residence either at an inn or in the street we shall now give an account of his lodging which was indeed in a very reputable house and in a very good part of the town mr jones then had often heard mr alworthy mention the gentleman at whose house he used to lodge when he was in town this person who as jones likewise knew lived in bond street was the widow of a clergyman, and was left by him at his decease in possession of two daughters and of a complete set of manuscript sermons. Of these two daughters, Nancy, the elder, was now arrived at the age of seventeen, and Betty, the younger, at that of ten. Hither Jones had dispatched Partridge, and in this house he was provided with a room for himself in the second floor, and with one for Partridge in the fourth. The first floor was inhabited by one of those young gentlemen who, in the last age were called men of wit and pleasure about town and properly enough for as men are usually denominated from their business or profession so pleasure may be said to have been the only business or profession of those gentlemen to whom fortune had made all useful occupations unnecessary playhouses coffee-houses and taverns were the scenes of their rendezvous wit and humor were the entertainment of their looser hours and love was the business of their more serious moments wine and the muses conspired to kindle the brightest flames in their breasts nor did they only admire but some were able to celebrate the beauty they admired and all to judge of the merit of such compositions such therefore were properly called the men of wit and pleasure but i question whether the same appellation may with the same propriety be given to those young gentlemen of our times who have the same ambition to be distinguished for parts wit certainly they have nothing to do with To give them their due they soar a step higher than their predecessors and may be called men of wisdom and virtue take heed you do not read virtue thus at an age when the gentlemen above mentioned employ their time in toasting the charms of a woman or in making sonnets in her praise in giving their opinion of a play at the theater or of a poem at wills or buttons these gentlemen are considering the methods to bribe a corporation or meditating in speeches for the house of commons or rather for the magazines. But the science of gaming is that which above all others employs their thoughts. These are the studies of their graver hours, while for their amusements they have the vast circle of connoisseurship, painting, music, statuary, and natural philosophy, or rather unnatural, which deals in the wonderful and knows nothing of nature except her monsters and imperfections. When Jones had spent the whole day in vain inquiries after Mrs. Fitzpatrick, he returned at last disconsolate to his apartment. Here, while he was venting his grief in private, he heard a violent uproar below stairs, and soon after a female voice begged him for heaven's sake to come and prevent murder. Jones, who was never backward on any occasion to help the distressed, immediately ran downstairs, when, stepping into the dining-room, whence all the noise issued, he beheld the young gentleman of wisdom and virtu just before mentioned, pinned close to the wall by his footman, and a young woman standing by, wringing her hands and crying out, "'He will be murdered! He will be murdered!' And indeed the poor gentleman seemed in some danger of being choked, when Jones flew hastily to his assistance and rescued him, just as he was breathing his last from the unmerciful clutches of the enemy." Though the fellow had received several kicks and cuffs from the little gentleman, who had more spirit than strength, he had made it a kind of scruple of conscience to strike his master, and would have contented himself with only choking him. But towards Jones he bore no such respect. He no sooner therefore found himself a little roughly handled by his new antagonist than he gave him one of those punches in the guts which, though the spectators at Broughton's amphitheatre have such exquisite delight in seeing them, convey but very little pleasure in the feeling the lusty youth had no sooner received this blow than he meditated a most grateful return and now ensued a combat between jones and the footman which was very fierce but short for this fellow was no more able to contend with jones than his master had before been to contend with him and now fortune according to her usual custom reversed the face of affairs The former victor lay breathless on the ground, and the vanquished gentleman had recovered breath enough to thank Mr. Jones for his seasonable assistance. He received likewise the hearty thanks of the young woman present, who was indeed no other than Miss Nancy, the eldest daughter of the house. The footman, having now recovered his legs, shook his head at Jones, and with a sagacious look cried, "Oh, damn me, I'll have nothing more to do with you; you have been upon the stage, or I am damnably mistaken." And indeed, we may forgive this his suspicion, for such was the agility and strength of our hero that he was, perhaps, a match for one of the first rate boxers, and could, with great ease, have beaten all the muffled graduates of Mr. Broton's school. Note it muffled. Lest posterity should be puzzled by this epithet, I think proper to explain it by an advertisement which was published February 1st, 1747. N.B mr broughton proposes with proper assistance to open an academy at his house in the haymarket for the instruction of those who are willing to be initiated in the mystery of boxing where the whole theory and practice of that truly british art with all the various stops blows cross buttocks etc incident to combatants will be fully taught and explained and that persons of quality and distinction may not be deterred from entering into a course of those lectures They will be given with the utmost tenderness in regard to the delicacy of the frame and constitution of the pupil, for which reason muffles are provided, that will effectually secure them from the inconveniency of black eyes, broken jaws, and bloody noses. The master, foaming with wrath, ordered his man immediately to strip, to which the latter very readily agreed on condition of receiving his wages. This condition was presently complied with, and the fellow was discharged. And now the young gentleman, whose name was Nightingale, very strenuously insisted that his deliverer should take part of a bottle of wine with him, to which Jones, after much entreaty, consented, though more out of complacence than inclination, for the uneasiness of his mind fitted him very little for conversation at this time. Miss Nancy, likewise, who was the only female then in the house, her mamma and sister being both gone to the play, condescended to favor them with her company. When the bottle and glasses were on the table, the gentleman began to relate the occasion of the preceding disturbance. I hope, sir, he said to Jones, you will not from this accident conclude that I make a custom of striking my servants, for I assure you this is the first time I have been guilty of it in my remembrance, and I have passed by many provoking faults in this very fellow before he could provoke me to it. But when you hear what hath happened this evening, you will, I believe, think me excusable. I happened to come home several hours before my usual time, when I found four gentlemen of the cloth at whist by my fire, and my hoyle, sir, my best hoyle, which cost me a guinea, lying open on the table with a quantity of porter spilt on one of the most material leaves of the whole book. This, you will allow, was provoking, but I said nothing till the rest of the honest company were gone, and then gave the fellow a gentle rebuke, who, instead of expressing any concern, made me a pert answer that servants must have their diversions as well as the other people, that he was sorry for the accident which had happened to the book, but that several of his acquaintance had bought the same for a shilling, and that I might stop as much in his wages if I pleased. I now gave him a severer reprimand than before, which the rascal had the insolence to; in short, he imputed my early coming home to-in short, he cast a reflection-he <laughs> mentioned the name of a young lady in a manner, in such a manner that incensed me beyond all patience and in my passion I struck him. Jones answered that he believed no person living would blame him for my part, said he. I confess I should, on the last-mentioned provocation, have done the same thing. Our company had not sat long before they were joined by the mother and daughter, at their return from the play, and now they all spent a very cheerful evening together, for all but Jones were heartily merry, and even he put on as much constrained mirth as possible. Indeed, half his natural flow of animal spirits, joined to the sweetness of his temper, was sufficient to make a most amiable companion, and notwithstanding the heaviness of his heart, so agreeable did he make himself on the present occasion that, at their breaking up, the young gentleman earnestly desired his further acquaintance. Miss Nancy was well pleased with him, and the widow, quite charmed with her new lodger, invited him with the other next morning to breakfast. Jones, on his part, was no less satisfied as for miss nancy though a very little creature she was extremely pretty and the widow had all the charms which can adorn a woman near fifty as she was one of the most innocent creatures in the world so she was one of the most cheerful she never thought nor spoke nor wished any ill and had constantly that desire of pleasing which may be called the happiest of all desires in this that it scarce ever fails of attaining its ends when not disgraced by affectation In short. Though her power was very small, she was in her heart one of the warmest friends. She had been a most affectionate wife, and was a most fond and tender mother. As our history doth not, like a newspaper, give great characters to people who never were heard of before, nor will ever be heard of again, the reader may hence conclude that this excellent woman will hereafter appear to be of some importance in our history. Nor was Jones a little pleased with the young gentleman himself, whose wine he had been drinking he thought he discerned in him much good sense though a little too much tainted with town foppery but what recommended him most to jones were some sentiments of great generosity and humanity which occasionally dropped from him and particularly many expressions of the highest disinterestedness in the affair of love on which subject the young gentleman delivered himself in a language which might have very well become an arcadian shepherd of old and which appeared very extraordinary when proceeding from the lips of a modern fine gentleman but, he was only won by imitation, and meant by nature for a much better character. End of chapter 5 Chapter 6 What arrived while the company were at breakfast, with some hints concerning the government of daughters? Our company brought together in the morning the same good inclinations toward each other, with which they had separated the evening before, but poor jones was extremely disconsolate for he had just received information from partridge that mrs fitzpatrick had left her lodging and that he could not learn whither she was gone this news highly afflicted him and his countenance as well as his behavior in defiance of all his endeavors to the contrary betrayed manifest indications of a disordered mind the discourse turned at present as before on love and Mr. Nightingale again expressed many of those warm, generous, and disinterested sentiments upon the subject, which wise and sober men call romantic, but which wise and sober women generally regard in a better light. Mrs. Miller, for so the mistress of the house was called, greatly approved these sentiments, but when the young gentleman appealed to Miss Nancy, she answered only that she believed the gentleman who had spoke the least was capable of feeling most. This compliment was so apparently directed to Jones that we should have been sorry had he passed it by unregarded. He made her indeed a very polite answer, and concluded with an oblique hint that her own silence subjected her to a suspicion of the same kind, for indeed she had scarce opened her lips either now or the last evening. "'I am glad, Nanny,' says Mrs. Miller. "'The gentleman hath made the observation. I protest I am almost of his opinion. "'What can be the matter with you, child?' I never saw such an alteration what has become of all your gaiety would you think sir i used to call her my little prattler she hath not spoke twenty words this week here the conversation was interrupted by the entrance of a maid servant, who brought a bundle in her hand which she said was delivered by a porter for mr jones she added that the man immediately went away saying it required no answer jones expressed some surprise on this occasion and declared it must be some mistake But the maid persisting that she was certain of the name, all the women were desirous of having the bundle immediately opened, which operation was at length performed by Little Betsy, with the consent of Mr. Jones, and the contents were found to be a domino, a mask, and a masquerade ticket. Jones was now more positive than ever in asserting that these things must have been delivered by mistake, and Mrs. Miller herself expressed some doubt and said, she knew not what to think. But when Mr. Nightingale was asked, he delivered a very different opinion. "'All I can conclude from it, sir,' said he, "'is that you are a very happy man, "'for I make no doubt but that these were sent to you by some lady "'whom you will have the happiness of meeting at the masquerade.' "'Jones had not a sufficient degree of vanity "'to entertain such flattering imagination, "'nor did Mrs. Miller herself give much assent "'to what Mr. Nightingale had said, "'till Miss Nancy, having lifted up the domino, "'a card dropped from the sleeve, in which was written as follows. "'To Mr. Jones.' THE QUEEN OF THE FAIRIES SENDS YOU THIS. USE HER FAVORS, NOT AMISS. Mrs. Miller and Miss Nancy now both agreed with Mr. Nightingale. Nay, Jones himself was almost persuaded to be of the same opinion, and as no other lady but Mrs. Fitzpatrick, he thought, knew his lodging, he began to flatter himself with some hopes that it came from her, and that he might possibly see his Sophia. These hopes had surely very little foundation. But as the conduct of Mrs. Fitzpatrick, in not seeing him according to her promise, and in quitting her lodgings, had been very odd and unaccountable, he conceived some faint hopes that she, of whom he had formerly heard a very whimsical character, might possibly intend to do him that service in a strange manner, which she declined doing by more ordinary methods. To say the truth, as nothing certain could be concluded from so odd and uncommon an incident, he had the greater latitude to draw what imaginary conclusions from it he pleased, as his temper, therefore, was naturally sanguine, he indulged it on this occasion, and his imagination worked up a thousand conceits to favor and support his expectations of meeting his dear Sophia in the evening. Reader, if thou hast any good wishes towards me, I will fully repay them by wishing thee to be possessed of this sanguine disposition of mine, since, after having read much and considered long on that subject of happiness which has employed so many great pens, I am almost inclined to fix it in the possession of this temper which puts us in a manner out of reach of fortune and makes us happy without her assistance indeed the sensations of pleasure it gives are much more constant as well as much keener than those which that blind lady bestows nature having wisely contrived that some satiety and languor should be annexed to all our real enjoyments lest we should be so taken up by them as to be stopped from further pursuits i make no manner of doubt but that in this light we may see the imaginary future chancellor just called to the bar the archbishop in crape and the prime minister at the tail of an opposition more truly happy than those who are invested with all the power and profit of those respective offices mr jones having now determined to go to the masquerade that evening mr nightingale offered to conduct him thither the young gentleman at the same time offered tickets to miss nancy and her mother but the good woman would not accept them she said She did not conceive the harm which some people imagined in a masquerade, but that such extravagant diversions were proper only for persons of quality and fortune, and not for young women who were to get their living, and could, at best, hope to be married to a good tradesman. A tradesman! cries Nightingale. You shan't undervalue my Nancy. There is not a nobleman on earth above her merit. Oh, fie, Mr. Nightingale, answered Mrs. Miller. You must not fill the girl's head with such fancies, but if it was her good luck, says the mother with a simper, to find a gentleman of your generous way of thinking. I hope she would make a better return to his generosity than to give her mind up to extravagant pleasures. Indeed, where young ladies bring great fortunes themselves, they have some right to insist on spending what is their own. And on that account I have heard the gentleman say, a man has sometimes a better bargain with a poor wife than with a rich man. But let my daughters bury whom they will. I shall endeavor to make them blessings to their husbands i beg therefore i may hear of no more masquerades nancy is i am certain too good a girl to desire to go for she must remember when you carried her thither last year it almost turned her head and she did not return to herself or to her needle in a month afterwards though a gentle sigh which stole from the bosom of nancy seemed to argue some secret disapprobation of these sentiments she did not dare openly to oppose them for as this good woman had all the tenderness so she had preserved all the authority of a parent and as her indulgence to the desires of children was restrained only by her fears for their safety and future welfare so she never suffered those commands which proceeded from such fears to be either disobeyed or disputed and this the young gentleman who had lodged two years in the house knew so well that he presently acquiesced in the refusal mr nightingale who grew every minute fonder of jones was very desirous of his company that day to dinner at the tavern where he offered to introduce him to some of his acquaintance but Jones begged to be excused, as his clothes, he said, were not yet come to town. To confess the truth, Mr. Jones was now in a situation which sometimes happens to be the case of young gentlemen of much better figure than himself. In short, he had not one penny in his pocket, a situation in much greater credit among the ancient philosophers than among the modern wise men who live in Lombard Street or those who frequent White's Chocolate House. And perhaps the great honors which those philosophers have ascribed to an empty pocket may be one of the reasons of that high contempt in which they are held in the aforesaid street and chocolate house. Now, if the ancient opinion that men might live very comfortably on virtue only be, as the modern wise men just above mentioned pretend to have discovered, a notorious error, no less false is, I apprehend, that position of some writers of romance that a man can live altogether on love for however delicious repast this may afford to some of our senses or appetites, it is most certain it can afford none to others. Those, therefore, who have placed too great a confidence in such writers, have experienced their error when it was too late, and have found that love was no more capable of allaying hunger than a rose is capable of delighting the ear, or a violin of gratifying the smell. Notwithstanding, therefore, all the delicacies which love had set before him, namely, the hopes of seeing Sophia at the masquerade, on which, however ill-founded his imagination might be, he had voluptuously feasted during the whole day, the evening no sooner came than Mr. Jones began to languish for some food of a grosser kind. Partridge discovered this by intuition, and took the occasion to give some oblique hints concerning the bank bill, and, when these were rejected with disdain, he collected courage enough once more to mention a return to Mr. Allworthy. "'Partridge!' cries Jones. You cannot see my fortune in a more desperate light than I see it myself, and I begin heartily to repent that I suffered you to leave a place where you was settled, and to follow me. However, I insist now on your returning home, and for the expense and trouble which you have so kindly put yourself to on my account, all the clothes I left behind in your care I desire you would take as your own. I am sorry I can make you no other acknowledgement. He spoke these words with so pathetic an accent that Partridge, among whose vices ill nature or hardness of heart were not numbered burst into tears and after swearing he would not quit him in his distress he began with the most earnest entreaties to urge his return home for heaven's sake sir says he do but consider what can your honour do how is it possible you can live in this town without money do what you will sir or go wherever you please i am resolved not to desert you but pray sir consider do pray sir for your own sake take it into your consideration and I'm sure, says he, that your own good sense will bid you return home. How often shall I tell thee, answered Jones, that I have no home to return to? Had I any hopes that Mr. Alworthy's doors would be open to receive me, I want no distress to urge me. Nay, there is no other cause upon earth which could detain me a moment from flying to his presence, but alas! That I am for ever banished from. His last words were, O partridge, they still ring in my ears, His last words were, when he gave me a sum of money, what it was I know not, but considerable I am sure it was, his last words were, I am resolved from this day forward on no account to converse with you any more. Here passion stopped the mouth of Jones, as surprise for a moment did that of Partridge, but he soon recovered the use of speech, and after a short preface, in which he declared he had no inquisitiveness in his temper, inquired what Jones meant by a considerable sum he knew not how much, and what was become of the money. In both these points he now received full satisfaction, on which he was proceeding to comment, when he was interrupted by a message from Mr. Nightingale, who desired his master's company in his apartment. When the two gentlemen were both attired for the masquerade, and Mr. Nightingale had given orders for chairs to be sent for, a circumstance of distress occurred to Jones, which will appear very ridiculous to many of my readers. This was how to procure a shilling but if such readers will reflect a little on what they have themselves felt from the want of a thousand pounds, or perhaps of ten or twenty, to execute a favorite scheme, they will have a perfect idea of what Mr. Jones felt on this occasion. For this sum, therefore, he applied to Partridge, which was the first he had permitted him to advance, and was the last he intended that poor fellow should advance in his service. To say the truth, Partridge had lately made no offer of this kind. Whether it was that he desired to see the bank bill broke in upon— or that distress should prevail on Jones to return home, or from what other motive it proceeded, I will not determine. End of chapter 6